This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 313. Today, I fly solo and recap the news. Recorded live July 27th, 2019. Are you being asked repeatedly to integrate different business systems in ever narrower timeframes and with increasing process complexity? What if you could standardize the way you build these business processes so your team are focusing on higher value tasks versus the nuts and bolts of running the processes and integrations? Nintex can make it happen. With a Nintex platform, workflows from person to person, system to system, to the cloud and back. Got a custom system you want to connect with? No-code extensions let you plug into systems simply and easily using REST and Swagger. With Nintex, work just flows, so your teams can work smarter, work faster, and be more connected than ever. Try it out free for 30 days at www.nintex.com forward slash try NWC. Good morning, everybody. This week, you are stuck with me. AC is, I believe, on the beach somewhere. And uh, so I am flying solo, and I hope to keep you entertained for hopefully a relatively short show. I'm not going to go an hour this week, probably half an hour or so, just covering off some of the goings-on since we last recorded. This week has been relatively quiet after the craziness of the Microsoft Inspire conference that we've just had. Uh, Typically, Microsoft will bring out a whole lot of news for Inspire and land it all at once, or actually for any conference like Inspire or Ignite and so forth. So they'll land a Typically, they'll land a ton of news and then they'll go quiet for a week or two just to let the press pick it all up, write about it, and then get ready for the next cycle. So um, we'll no doubt start seeing a flow of Microsoft Microsoft 365, Azure, Office 365, and so forth uh, news coming out over the next wee while. So in the meantime, between now and then, We have some other bits and pieces we'd like to recap, but um, in short, yes, this week AC is off swanning himself on the beach, sunning himself while I am in Seattle, and I'm actually getting ready to head off for a week to Hobart in Australia, which if you're like many people, you're thinking, where the hell is that? So the company I now work for, LiveTiles, is multinational, and have a lot of people in Australia which is different from New Zealand. And on the very southern tip of Australia, there's a big island called Tasmania, and that's where I'm going. So for all you Aussies listening, insert your Tasmanian jokes here, because it it gets a fair amount of grief. It will be my first visit to Tasmania. So this will be interesting for me and exciting. I'm looking forward to visiting the team there and seeing what it's all about. So uh, this is a new one for me. Anyway, so I'm heading off next week, actually this evening I fly out, and AC will be covering bits and pieces this coming week, and he assures me he has a more exciting show than I do in store, so look forward to that. But anyway, before we get stuck into the news, let's take a quick word from one of our incredible sponsors, and we will be right back and get stuck in to some of the news. For those of us familiar with ShareGate, we know they've always been about SharePoint and Office 365 migration. But now that we've all moved to the cloud, like me, you're probably thinking about how to scale your Office 365 to a full self-serve environment without worrying about thousands of groups and teams popping up out of nowhere. 
aka Sprawl. That's why the folks at ShareGate developed ShareGate Apricot. It's a solution that helps us automate our Office 365 group governance by allowing us to collaborate with users to keep everyone accountable for the things they create. Their super simple to use in-app experience lets us lighten our load by delegating group management responsibilities to users we trust, aka no more sprawl. Want to get your hands on ShareGate Apricot? Try it free for 30 days at sharegate.com forward slash cloud show. Okay, well, this past week has been extremely interesting in the cloud wars realm. Both Amazon and Google's earnings came out. And in line with a trend more recently about giving a little more insight into what's going on in their earnings, Amazon have reported $63.4 billion in revenue with AWS up 37%, subscriptions up 37%, and other, I don't know what that encapsulates, up 37% as well, which is pretty incredible when you think about that just from a pure, like billions is just a phenomenal number in and of itself. But when you consider it's money, that's just it's just sort of mind-boggling numbers at this point. Income of 2.6 billion, which is pretty decent. Now the other interesting thing in all of this is their AWS number. So they said it grew 37% in sales up to 8.4 billion dollars, which uh, is kind of crazy. Um, Now, the interesting thing here as well, another interesting thing I should say here as well, is that this is the first time that Amazon has dropped below the 40% growth rate in AWS since they started breaking AWS's numbers out into different, as a number that they reported on. So that's, um, that's pretty interesting. Obviously, AWS has a huge first mover advantage in this space versus some of the other players. They grew much faster to begin with or got a big leapfrog on everybody else. And so now it looks like their growth is starting to not stagnate, that's probably a bit too harsh, but certainly flatten out. And they're still growing quite a lot. 37% is huge, but they're below 40%. So their growth is not flat. Their growth is slowing. Maybe that's a better way to put it. Anyway, Amazon is crushing it making lots of money. Analysts had different ideas. Their stock was down very slightly, but overall, I'd say that's a pretty amazing number. Now, Google also came out and said that they have their Google Cloud run rate or the ARR run rate is over $8 billion. Now, that's really interesting because AWS is saying $8.4 billion. Google's saying over $8 billion. But I believe Google's Google Cloud number includes a GCP, so it's a cloud computing platform, but also G Suite, for example. That's kind of interesting because that's the productivity portion, right? So AWS is, I don't believe, well, they don't have that much of a productivity number, I imagine. But unlike Microsoft that breaks out Office 365 into a separate number, Google is wrapping up its cloud computing platform and G Suite together to get that $8 billion number. But that said, that's nothing to sneeze at, which is amazing, right? That's pretty incredible. The last time they divulged a number, Google Cloud Revenue was February 2018 when it said it was $1 billion per quarter business, so a $4 billion run rate, which um, so it's obviously doubled. Pretty incredible growth numbers there. And actually, I've been hearing good things about Google's cloud platform from some friends that 
have used it recently, deploying code to it and things, and are saying good stuff about GCP. So they're obviously doing some pretty good work in the cloud, and um, no doubt they will not give up on that. I suspect it's pretty, pretty important to them. Now, speaking of Microsoft competitors, we've mentioned this on the show a couple of times in the past, but Microsoft Teams is going head-to-head with Slack, whether they like it or not, whether Microsoft likes it or whether Slack likes it. And there's a couple of Slack items here that I thought were really interesting that popped up this week. The first one is a YouTube video, which is a interview of Stuart Butterfield, who is the CEO of Slack. And in particular, at about the 15 minute mark in this interview, he directly takes on a question about how they compete with Microsoft or how they don't compete and so forth. Now he's done a He's done a great job of sort of pseudo-dodging the question in some ways, but really he he really tackles this question on in two parts. Basically, he calls Microsoft a Luddite, the old guys, and that that all young people would choose Slack over, over Teams, which, you know, he might be right. I'm not really sure. He basically says Slack's going to be better because we've got a better focus on the customer. That's a fair argument to make, at least, anyway. I don't know if I agree with his position, but that's what he how he sees it. So yeah, that's one aspect that they, they compete with Microsoft on. And then he goes on to say that basically innovators of the past, like IBM and Microsoft, I think he throws in that boat, don't necessarily always win because they've got multiple lines of business, they're really big, they lose focus, and so forth. So yeah, he thinks they can differentiate and do a really a better job than Microsoft, even though they're not as big and don't have quite the same level of distribution that Microsoft has. It's definitely worth a listen if you're interested in this topic at all. I found it really interesting the way he talks about it. I personally think that I don't believe that they don't worry about Microsoft at all. I think they're absolutely freaked out about it. I certainly would be. Microsoft has incredible distribution and sales team. It's wrapped up in Office 365. They've got a lot of advantages over Slack in that perspective. Do they have the quality? Do Microsoft have the quality that Slack does? Probably not. The user experience I find better in Slack, but that's personal opinion. You may not find the same. So yeah, we'll see how this plays out. But anyway, a great interview with Stuart Butterfield on Slack versus Microsoft Teams, which uh, was very interesting. Now for those Slack users, while we're on the topic, I just thought I'd have a bit of a laugh about this, that Slack's new desktop application loads 33% faster and uses less RAM. So if you've ever opened Task Manager, and wondered what an actual hell is going on with my memory usage, and you notice Slack chewing up all your memory, uh, it's because it's an Electron app, and Electron apps have a tendency to go wild on memory usage. They use Chrome under the hood. Slack's no different. So they've obviously done some optimization here and tried to pare it down. Now, I'm not saying Slack's any worse than Teams in this regard. Teams also an, an Electron app from, I don't believe it's changed recently, and it's also an absolute memory hog and I just find, I don't know about your experience, but I find Teams significantly slower to use as an application than Slack, even though they're built on the exact same technology under the hood. So um, yeah, I don't know what that's all about. Anywho, yeah, some improvements from Slack in terms of their performance stuff. Now, let's go and get stuck into some more Microsoft news. But before we do that, here's one of our great sponsors. Struggling to reproduce problems in your code base? Successful software starts with Raygun. Raygun provides application performance monitoring, unlike anything you've experienced before. 
offering greater clarity around how your software is performing for your customers than any other APM provider. Easily detect and diagnose issues impacting end users and monitor every part of your stack in one place. It's time to get back to building great software instead of fighting it. Start your journey to better software quality. Try Raygun free at raygun.com today. All right, let's get stuck into some more Azure news. Now, the interesting bit of news that I saw come out this week around Azure and LinkedIn was that LinkedIn is moving to the public cloud and it is choosing, drumroll please, Azure. Should that be a surprise? Probably not, right? It's saying that it has 645 million members around the world and that it is choosing Microsoft Azure cloud computing platform to move to the cloud. Crazy, huh? So this is obviously LinkedIn was bought by Microsoft back in 2016 for $26.2 billion. There's another billion to throw in there. And they are finally getting around. So this was back in 2016. What are we, three years later or so? I don't know exactly when in 2016 this deal landed, but give or take three years. They are moving to Azure. And I believe they were on their own data centers previously. So they were obviously having to maintain all of that hardware and run it all themselves. But apparently they had five data centers and they'd be going to be able to consolidate into Azure and and get a whole bunch of cost savings, no doubt, as part of that and scalability benefits and all of that. And just not having to run it all yourself sounds like a good idea, I suppose. I would love to see what's behind a move like this. Maybe I'll have to do some digging and see if we can get somebody to come and talk on the show about it. But I would love to know what goes into planning a move for a system the size of LinkedIn, which is obviously one of the largest SaaS type applications running out there, uh, certainly on the public internet, I suppose. And I'd love to know what goes into moving something like that. Like, where do you even begin deciding to move? And where do you start? I guess you've got to chop it up into thousands of little pieces and decide how do we tackle each piece. But anyway, LinkedIn moving, making the move to Azure. Typically, this takes a while for acquisitions to move. Like Yammer, for example, was on AWS for quite a long time and eventually moved to Azure. I believe that has entirely moved now. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong on that, but my understanding is they've completely moved now. But it does take years in many cases. These are huge projects in and of their own right. So it can certainly take some time to plan it and then also move. And obviously, it all comes at a cost, right? Like while you're doing this, those are resources and people and things that you can't put on other projects to make your software better or add new features or you know expand it to new markets and things. So it's like the plumbing, right? Nobody should notice that you've moved if you do it right. And so uh, sometimes it can take a while to get done. Anyway, so that was that was pretty interesting, I thought, LinkedIn moving to Azure. In other news, there's a blog post by Henry Jerez, from, who's a principal group product manager in the Microsoft machine learning team, and with a blog post entitled, Expanding the Azure Stack Partner Ecosystem. So you can go and read off about these new partners that are able to go build prepackaged type solutions to the Azure Stack customers, which is the on-premises 
sort of pseudo deployment of part of Azure, for want of a better word, if you need to do on-prem deployments of Azure. So they've got things around security, migration partners, data protection and, and disaster recovery partners like Veeam, for example, networking partners with Palo Alto, developer platforms and tools partners, Bitnami, for example, IoT partners and intelligent edge devices. So they're, they're really pushing, or they're making a big push to getting partners building applications that can be deployed, I'm guessing, either in the Azure public cloud but also in the Azure Stack offering for on-premises customers. Hopefully that means Azure Stack's doing okay. I haven't seen any numbers about Azure Stack recently in terms of its deployment or users or number of customers and things, but there's been a slow but steady trickle of news about it, so I hope it's doing well. In other Azure news, Azure has published guidance for secure cloud adoption by governments. Now, even if you're not in government, I still think this is really interesting information. And I say this because as somebody who's worked on a, a product that we sell to customers, even in many instances, even if the customer is not a government customer, lots and lots of customers adopt some of the same principles and guidance that governments are putting in place for things like data residency, data sovereignty, and so forth. And so this guidance, I think, would be really interesting for anybody working in the cloud space who wants to see what Microsoft is saying about tackling some of these issues that governments have with public cloud-based platforms. Uh, so they've put out a white paper called Azure for Secure Worldwide Public Sector Cloud Adoption. And it covers, as you'd imagine, data residency, data sovereignty, government access to customer data, data encryption, data access by Microsoft personnel, threat detection, private hybrid and cloud options, cloud compliance and certifications, conceptual architecture for classified workloads. I haven't had a good chance to dig into all of this stuff yet, but I have a really, really long flight coming up tonight, and I may download this and um, have a read as I'm trying to drift off to sleep with a glass of wine at 30,000 feet. I know, riveting stuff, right? Anyway, so yeah, we'll link to that in the show notes, but feel free to go put yourself to sleep or get really, really excited depending on how you feel about this stuff with Microsoft telling you what it suggests and some guidance around these topics. A 99.9% .9 SLA means you're protected from power outages, bad patches, natural disasters, and maybe even a dinosaur attack. Does it protect you from yourself though? Avpoint Backup for SharePoint Online provides full fidelity backup and recovery from individual items to entire sites. Avpoint can run backups up to four times a day to ensure your data is secure. Recover any time you want without having to pick up the phone and schedule restore windows. Learn why Avpoint is the Microsoft Cloud expert at www.avpoint.com. Moving right along, let's talk about Office 365. There are a few things I found this week that I thought quite interesting. The first is around a proliferation or an increase in fake Office 365 alerts uh, to try and fish and compromise administration or admin accounts in Office 365. I don't know if I've had too many of these fake phishing scams specifically around Office 365. I know I've seen one from Dropbox where phishing attacks that will send out a big 
blast of emails and effectively make them look like an alert from Office 365 or from Dropbox, for example. And when you click on the link, it'll ask you to log in and it's a fake login page and they capture your credentials and, and then they can get into Office 365 as you. But this the spate targeting Office 365 customers or the number of these trying to target Office 365 customers is definitely on the increase. Like I said, I've seen them these for Dropbox and it's obviously worth targeting now, right? There's obviously enough Office 365 customers that these these hackers or whatnot are trying to get into the into your accounts. Obviously, things like multi-factor authentication can really help with this. And so, in the you know, in the phishing case where you click a link and they ask you to log into a fake login page, obviously that is not going to work very well with MFA when they try and go use those credentials to get into Office 365 on your behalf or not behalf, yeah, as you, I should say. And if you have MFA turned on, obviously that's going to be a lot tougher. But the point here is that these phishing scams are getting more elaborate and there seems to be new campaigns coming leveraging the Office 365 alerts that get sent out to compromise administrator accounts. So I guess watch out for phishing mails. This particular one that they talk about in the article that we'll link to was about alerts that got sent out made to look like they came from an Office 365 a support person and you were you were prompted to click on an investigate button about an issue or an alert and it went to a domain that was actually hosted in Azure because it had a windows.net domain name apparently and it had a it had a certificate that was issued by Microsoft obviously because it was on Azure so it looked a little more legit so yeah they're getting pretty sneaky huh very bad if your admins fall for it so MFA all around. MFA using you know, your phone as a second factor or a solo key that you've been given by the Microsoft Cloud Show for sending in a listener pick, that's another good option. Using the new FIDO support in Azure Active Directory with Edge and that sort of thing. Anyway, phishing with Office 365 is on the rise. Now, there's another really interesting article, and I'll admit to not completely understanding this, all the ins and outs of this up front, but the title of the article is German State Bans the Use of Office 365 Tools in Its Schools Due to Privacy Concerns. Awkward. Obviously, Microsoft give a lot of software away to education customers, for students and, and so forth, but apparently Office 365 is storing data that the German government don't like being stored on foreign servers about students. Now, this is, I'm not entirely sure what types of data this is or how bad this is, but a German regulator has come out and said that they're banning the use of Office 365 for students, I think it is, because of the potential to violate the user's privacy, which is not good enough. Now, Microsoft have obviously come back out, and there's an update in this article that where a Microsoft representative is saying that they're working to address the concerns, yada, 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 we're working together. Blah, 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 greater transparency, architecture, 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 and we're going to work together. So yes, Microsoft's going to try and alleviate their concerns or fix the issues, I guess, that they have that they've raised. But that's pretty rough. I mean, coming out and just blanket banning, I guess the issues are obviously deep enough that they warrant this. So I guess we will monitor the situation. But if we have anybody listening to the show 
who works in the German education system. We'd love to hear from you and, and hear if you've been asked to get off Office 365 or shut it down or do something like that, just to give us an idea of the impact this might have. Um, Office 365 is apparently leaking your IP addresses out in emails. So this is a bit of a scare tactic blog post, and I'll, I'll go into it in a second. But basically, the issue that's raised in this article is that Office 365's OA system, Office Web Access, I don't even remember what it stands for anymore, is putting the originating IP address in a X originating IP header in the email. So for example, say you're inside a particular network and you send an email, then OA will add the IP address of your machine as a header in that email. Now, it's done for a legitimate purpose, apparently, according to Microsoft, so that administrators can track where that email was originally sent from and things. But some people are basically saying this is a debatable practice and whether it's a good thing as it has the ability to leak you know, internal information about your network and things. I don't know if I'm educated enough to to say whether this is a really bad idea, but the article goes in to say that Microsoft had removed this from Hotmail back in 2013, that was removed from the consumer version, and um, they're calling it a feature, not a bug, which is quite curious. So I guess it really depends on which side of the fence that you you sit on, on this one. Whether this is good or bad, whether this is you're an admin and you find this information useful or whether you would rather reduce the amount of information going out in your headers of your email to better protect your privacy and so forth. So for example, this would mean that if I was a user in a company and sent an email and I was sitting on the beach in Fiji, then my Fiji and IP address would go out in the email and you'd be able to tell that I sent that email from Fiji, I suppose. Is that bad or good? I don't know. It depends, I guess, why I'm sitting on a beach in Fiji sending email, whether I'm supposed to be doing that or not. But anyway, it's an interesting article. I don't know where you sit on this, but uh, go have a read and you can see how some of the reactions are going on it. Uh, Finally, Cortana. The slow demise of Cortana strikes again. Microsoft is removing Cortana from Xbox, I believe, and you may have to go and add add some new skill or something along those lines. So yes, it goes on to say that there's an Xbox skill for Cortana and Alexa-based devices, and it's going out well, but they are evolving the way we support voice commands on Xbox, and they're moving away from on-console experiences to cloud-based existing. Basically, what they're saying is they're cutting out Cortana from Xbox. I wish they'd just get to the point in these things. This means you'll no longer be able to talk to Cortana via your headset. However, you can still use the Xbox skill via Cortana on iOS, Android, and Windows, or via the Harman Kardon Invoke speaker for the two people that use that to power your Xbox One. So be able to talk to other things to communicate or to, to send commands to your Xbox One, I guess but they're removing it from Xbox particularly. So yes, more small but steady paper cuts or death by a thousand cuts for Cortana, sadly, I guess. I don't know why I said sadly. I've never used Cortana really, so I'm not really that educated about it. But it definitely seems to be heading in the direction that doesn't look good. All right, let's talk to one of our great sponsors and 
or two of our great sponsors, and I'll be right back. CJ's Hyperfish automates the collection of user profile information from users in organizational directories, such as Office 365, SharePoint, Active Directory, and HR systems. The secure service supports on-premises, hybrid, and online environments. Bring your directory to life at hyperfish.com. AC's Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. All right, it is time for listener and picks. Listener picks and host picks, I suppose, for want of a better word. This week, I'm going to lead with something I've always wanted. A huge, gigantic first stage of a Saturn one rocket in my backyard. I don't know if I've mentioned it on the show before, but for a number of years, I've joked with my wife that one day I'm going to buy an aircraft and stick it in the back of the yard, like an old an old aircraft, like maybe just the cockpit of a 737 or maybe a 747 if I get a big enough yard. And I want to turn it into a simulator room for you know flight sims, space sims, And generally, I just think it'd be super cool having a 747 cockpit in your backyard, don't you? I mean, why wouldn't you? Anyway, I'm only half joking to my wife, unless you're going to let me do it, Vicky, in which case, I'll do it. But NASA is giving away a first stage of a Saturn I rocket, and for the low, low price of $250,000 to transport it. So you've got to pay shipping and handling charges, but... Yeah, NASA will give you the actual rocket. So uh, I'll link to the show notes here where you can go and look at this thing. It's an old rocket that's been sitting, I believe, at the Johnson Space Center somewhere and is no longer being used. So yeah, I mean, maybe we could refurb it and then put AC on the top of it and shoot him into orbit. I don't think he'd disagree with that plan. It sounds pretty exciting. So yes, go get yourself a Stage 1 Saturn rocket. I dare you. Triple dog dare you. Okay, now listener picks. Michael Jonsson from Sweden, from Malmo in Sweden actually, has sent us another listener pick. Now he, we featured him a couple of episodes ago actually in 3.11. He sent us another great pick. This one, because I'm on a space theme with picks, I had to pick it again, pick his pick again. Japan just landed a spacecraft on an asteroid and the photos are nuts. So thank you very much for sending this in, Michael. This is... um, Really interesting. I hadn't seen this before, but the Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency launched a lander to go and collect samples from the Ryugu. Gosh, I'm balking it up. A primitive astronaut, uh, astronaut, asteroid half a mile in diameter that orbits the sun at about 131 million miles. So it's gone and landed apparently, and it's getting these rock samples from this asteroid, like. Who knew we could do that? This is amazing. What an incredible feat for humans. And congratulations to Japan for getting this done. Like, what an incredible, incredible prospect that we can go land on another asteroid. Astronaut. Gosh, I'm confused. Asteroid. And go collect rock samples. Amazing. So thanks again for sending this link in to us. Michael, I'll have to chat with AC. You know, we haven't had... A listener, I don't believe, where we've had two picks picked before. So we're going to have to make the very tough decision on whether we send you a second solo key or not. So stay tuned for that. 
but maybe maybe you can't win twice i don't know like we're gonna have to figure this out or maybe we'll just say send you a second solo key for being so awesome and sending us listener picks so yeah thanks for sending it in and i hope everybody found those picks really interesting like i said at the beginning of the show ac will be running solo next week stay tuned for that he promises it to be a really interesting show i hope i've kept you entertained for this past half hour with some news and interesting goings on in the cloud world and i will see you again in a couple of weeks see you later did you like this episode please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in itunes word of mouth recommendations are the most effective ways for us to grow the show we'd really appreciate it if you have a question for us go to microsoftcloudshow.com questions where you can submit it as text or record it as an mp3 or wav file and provide a link so we can play your question on the show our theme music is brought to you by keith ritchie For more information on Keith's music, head to music.kritchie.com. You can subscribe to us in iTunes and Google Play Store by searching for Microsoft Cloud Show or via RSS at microsoftcloudshow.com, where you'll also find show notes of each episode. You can also find us on Facebook searching for Microsoft Cloud Show or on Twitter at MS Cloud Show. And finally, sign up for our mailing list by heading over to our website and entering your email to interact with us, participate in upcoming interviews, and other cool stuff. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.